Amen. All righty. Let's get to work. I invite you to take your Bible to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. This morning we're going to look at verse 11 through 28. Hebrews 7, 11 through 28. In honor of God's word, I want to invite you to stand to your feet with me as we read this passage together. Verse 11, now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to rise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one to whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord has descended from Judah in connection with the tribe Moses, said nothing about priests. But because even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement, concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath, but this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens... He has no need, like those other high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once and all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men and their weaknesses as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who was made perfect forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for this, this ancient text that has so much relevant truth. Father, that these things, Lord, would, would just begin to uh, be true revelation to us. Father, that they would reveal Jesus to us. That they would reveal uh, what Christ has accomplished for us. 
That, Father, we would see ourselves in the midst of this ancient text, which is uh, at first surface reading seems quite mind-boggling. Father, we know that the, the, the truths, the principles found here uh, have power to change us forever. So we pray, change us forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. This past week, at a rather surreal experience, I was eating breakfast with my uh, daughter, and uh, she works from home. And so we were at the table together, and she had pulled up on her uh, computer a, uh, a meeting that she was in. So she was watching this meeting while we ate at the table, and so I was kind of eavesdropping in on, on the meeting. And the, the topic was AI, artificial intelligence, and specifically how artificial intelligence would play a role in the future of the pharmaceutical industry, riveting stuff. And, and, and the fact of the matter is, is I didn't understand most of what was being said, but, but I was fascinated by the idea of artificial intelligence and the role it's gonna play in the future. Well, after breakfast, uh, we washed up, and I, I went to work on this sermon, and I opened my Bible to Hebrews chapter 7 to work on a message that uh, I'm giving to you right now. And I couldn't help but notice the contrast of two very different worlds that I was a part of in the span of an hour. The world of high priest and the world of high tech. And what does the former have to say to the latter? Because they seem like two completely different, they don't even seem like the same planet, do they? They seem like completely different realities. But what if I told you that the world of Hebrews and the strange new world in which we find ourselves are not quite as far apart as you would think? You will recall uh, that the book of Hebrews is written to Jews who have been converted to Christianity. And now they're second-guessing that decision uh, because of the fact that their faith has brought to them a, a lot of suffering. And so the, the book of Hebrews is, is, a, is a document not just simply of theology, but it is really a document of pastoral counseling to those who are on the edge of giving up. Well, that, that certainly uh, is an issue that has impacted the Western church these days. You've heard me talk about the fact that there are, are young people, an entire generation, in fact, that are heading out the back door of the church in droves there's, uh, therefore, so much of the same pastoral advice that uh, the writer of Hebrews was giving to these people in this time is obviously incredibly and clearly relevant for our day. And, and so though the language and cultural issues are, are much different, obviously, 
than, than anything we're specifically dealing with. There's overarching principles uh, that stay the same. For example, the principle of the heart. The same heart that beat in their chest and the same desires and passions that they had have not changed from their time to ours. Because you see, despite the cultural shifts and changes that have happened many times throughout history, there are universal human desires and longings that transcend any culture in any age. People have always been people. No amount of technology, AI, technological advancement, any of that stuff is going to be able to alter the spiritual human condition or the fact that we are still living in a fallen world. As much advancement we've had in, in things like a smartphone and in technology, uh, does it look like the world is getting better? It doesn't seem to be so at all. Because deep in the recesses of every human being is an ache. An ache. There's an ache for God, for love, for beauty, for righteousness, for shalom, peace. Pascal called this, this, this ache a, a God-shaped hole that is in all of us. It's an inner void that we all seek to fill. And uh, AI will never be able to fill it. Not long ago, in the heyday of secularism in the West, the ideas of every human being having a God-shaped hole within them was, was kind of mocked at, seemed ridiculous. Because people say, man, look at it, what are you talking about? Look at this, right? The secularist had, had this, this strong proclamation. Man, we're not moping around, you know, all sad, some kind of existential angst because we don't go to church. I mean, while you're at church, listen to some guy rap on and on, right? We get to have brunch with our friends, we get to sleep in, we're eating, we're drinking, we're being married. We're being whoever we want to be. Nobody has to tell us who we are. We get to decide that for ourselves. We get to be whoever we want to be. We, want to, we get to sleep with whoever we want to sleep with. And we don't have any shame about it. Shame is a thing of the past. Is this not the epitome of happiness. Well, the secular utopia came falling down in 2020 when it was rocked by a pandemic, a, a global uprising over systemic racism, uh, a, an opioid crisis, uh, a division among every single category of, of life it seems there's a mental health epidemic we have had incredibly spiking rates in in suicides in murder 
like mass murder. It's just like it's, it's so prevalent today that it doesn't even shock us anymore. We've had a, a rise in sexual assault and addictions, and it just goes on and on and on. How happy could we be? And Jesus said this. He says, wisdom is justified by her children. Meaning, uh, the result of your philosophy of life, the way you think and the choices you make will have results. Children, if you will. And these results will go to show whether or not you are wise or you are simply a fool. And secularism is providing or proving to be, well, rather foolish right now. And in the aftermath of our cultural breakdown, as we're seeing this secular utopia fall to pieces, where have people been turning now? Where are they looking to find this void filled? Identity politics for many, conspiracy theories, uh, militant secularism on the right or the left. And while the church may have uh, answers, it, it seems that even within the church, uh, many have just simply turned to religion. Religion without love. Right? Dogmas that divide us. Us versus them. Uh, they are doctrines that decimate peace and, instead of providing it. When I read, uh, get on uh, things like Twitter, and, and most of the people I follow obviously are, are, are Christians, but there's some others that are not, and I get news feeds, and, and sometimes I cannot tell the difference in what I'm reading. And all behind this rage of our society, there, there is an ache that is still there, gnawing at the human heart. There is a nagging discontent that refuses to be satisfied. And so the writer of Hebrews, carried along by the Holy Spirit, addresses this in, believe it or not, Hebrews chapter 7. And he does so by pointing out one specific truth, that Jesus Christ is our advocate. He's our advocate. Uh, which here he's called uh, a high priest. High priest and advocate, the same thing. It is someone who represents us before God. Which begs three questions that I want to address today from this text. Number one, why do we need an advocate? Why do we even need an advocate? Number two, why is Jesus the advocate that we need? And number three, what difference does having Jesus as our advocate make in our, our daily modern or postmodern life? So question number one, why do we need an advocate? Why do we need an advocate? The whole 
gist of, of Hebrews 7 is basically this, that, that Jesus is a better high priest than all of the other high priests that have come before, uh, including the high priest that has come from the order of Aaron and continued through Levi, which this, man, that had a huge, huge role to play in, in Jewish religion. And so we listen to that and we go, huh? What? What does that got to do with anything, right? We have a hard time finding any meaningful reality in this day to our own day. But in Jesus' day, we need to understand this, right? Everybody had a priest. Everybody had a priest. Even the pagans, right? The pagans had priests. They had their own temples. They had their own way of doing worship. The Jews had priests. That's the, the high priest was the, the top of the line when it came to the Jewish priesthood. So a priest was basically someone who was a mediator between God and you, or between the gods, if you worshipped, you know, pagan religions, and, and you. In any case, it was believed that you had to have somebody stand in the gap for you. Now, in our day, right, we obviously don't go down to the, the corner temple and, and have a priest deal with our stuff, right? How, how weird would that be, you know, to go to the corner temple and as, I brought you a goat, which, could you slice it up for me and uh, sacrifice for me so that I could find favor with God once again, right? I think, I think that PETA might have an issue with that. And I don't think that would be quite allowed or quite received in, in our culture. But there is a word in verse 25, I think, that builds a bridge between Hebrews chapter 7 and the world presented here and, and the world that we live in. And that world is intercession. Jesus intercedes for us. Now, what do you think of immediately? Right, probably prayer, you know, and that's what high priests did, right? When we talk about intercession, if you ever hear that word, uh, you, you, normally it's associated with prayer. But here, uh, I'm sure that's included, but there's so much more involved than that. The word, the Greek word for intercede is a legal term. And it speaks specifically of an advocate, or, or a representative in a court of law that represents a client. And so when it says that Jesus intercedes for us, it's the same thing as saying Jesus is our advocate. Now we all live our lives from the perspective of a courtroom. Every day we, we, we wake up and we go to court. Uh, we, we feel like we're on constantly uh, on trial at some level. For example, we all live and attend the court of public opinion. Uh, whether we like to admit that or not, it, it's a fact. We all care about what other people think about us. If you say that you don't, you're lying. And we hope that, that people see us as attractive, 
right? And I'm not just talking about outwardly, right? But, but we hope that they see that we have a, an attractive character within. Uh, we, we hope others see us in us some redeeming quality, something praiseworthy, right? We all love to be praised. We all love it when people, you know, in, encourage, uh, in fact, we get encouraged by it when someone says something positive about us. Same thing is true when somebody says something negative about us. It, it becomes devastating, right? We get so hurt by criticism. Why? Because we care what people think of us. We, we want to appear favorable in most people's eyes. So life then is, is, is basically one big trial in which we're constantly trying to prove ourselves to people, prove that we're good, prove that we're lovable, prove that we matter, prove that we have value in this world. And, and the thing is, is, is we cannot determine that for ourselves. Right? We, we need someone outside of us to validate us. We, we need that. And whether we realize it or not, all of this need that we have for approval, for, for, for confirmation, for, for acceptance, for love, basically, all of this is, is a desire to gain that from the, from the ultimate source. Right? We want our creator to think well of us, the God of the universe. And so what we're doing is we're basically elevating the opinions of others to a godlike status. That's what we do. Now, the fact of the matter is this, that ultimately we will stand before God on trial and God will be our judge and we will one day hear the final verdict of what he does think of us. That's coming. And the real question for each of us is this, on that day, will we enter into that court with an advocate? Or will we go in on our own? Will we just be our own attorney? <laughs> Do you wanna waive your right to have an attorney present with you in that trial? Bad idea. Right? You can. You can waive your right to an attorney. You can represent yourself in the court of God. That's insanity. That is insanity. Someone once said that the man or woman who is their own attorney has a fool for a client. Well, that certainly is true in the greatest, greatest court you will ever face. It's certainly going to get you nothing but a, a guilty sentence with maximum punishment. That's what it'll get you. And, and, and interestingly, uh, that's what religious people are planning on doing. That's their plan going in, right? They're going to stand before God on their own without an advocate. And they're going to point out to their, their list of of, of good deeds. Look at all these things, Lord. These things make me worthy. These things make me good. Let, let me show you 
However, from Scripture, why well, that is a really bad plan. In uh, Matthew, or excuse me, in verse 11, verse 11, I'll get to the Matthew passage, verse 11 through 12. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in priesthood, it is necessarily a change in the law as well. Now I want you to notice that it says, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, that you wouldn't need another one. Which tells us this, the standard by which God is going to judge us on that day is himself. In, in, in other words, uh, his expectation is going to be perfection. In fact, what does it say in Matthew 5, 48? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's the standard. You must be perfect. And the standard is not other people, right? That's, that's, I think that's why we like to judge so much, because when we judge other people, we're able to, to kind of maybe lift ourselves above them for a moment. But other people is, is never the standard. The standard is the Father, and we must be perfect as he is perfect. Well, to speak of God's perfection is to speak of his glory. It's the same thing. They're one and the same. We are judged according to the glory of God. That's the standard we have to meet. Well, here comes the bad news. Romans 3, 23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We fall short of this perfection, right? Who has? Well, all have. That's us. <laughs> That's a, all you can put your name in there. In, in the past, right, Jewish people would use a high priest and, and they would have a high priest from the order of Levi and this high priest would be their advocate before God. Right? Because they had fallen short of the glory of God and so they would they would need this advocate. And so the high priest would offer a sacrifice uh, an animal of some sort to atone for the people's sin. But here's the thing, is that God uh, saw that as, as a temporary fix. Because ultimately he would say this in Hebrews 10.4, that it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. In other words, that system didn't work in and of itself. It was pointing to something else. But it was not the solution. We need a, a, a better advocate. We need a better advocate with a better covenant to present to God a much better case on our behalf because the old advocate couldn't even account for his own sins. Right? You, you got a lawyer out there who's guilty of the same crimes you are. And so verse 15 and 16, it says this, this becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, 
who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but in the power of an indestructible life. Or we could say a perfect life. The only one who fits the requirement of an indestructible life, the perfect life ever, is Jesus. He's the only exception to all have sinned, because he hasn't. I, I have a different answer. I remember when uh, I was, you know, 90s, 2000s, we, we had so many different kinds of, of training for for uh, how to share your faith. And, and most of them started off with, with questions that you would ask somebody, right, to kind of open the door. And, and one of the questions was, was this, when you stand before God and he says to you, he says to you, why should I let you into heaven? What are you going to say? And then you just wait for the answer, Right? Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Uh, here, here's my new answer to that question. I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to let my advocate do all the talking. I'm not going to say a word. I'm just going to let him go. Which brings me to the second question. right? How is, is Jesus the perfect advocate that we need. Why Jesus? Well, look at verse 24 and 25. Provides an answer. It says, because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood, therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede, there's a word, for them. The line of priests that extended from Aaron to Levi are all dead now. You notice that you go, well, who, who, who's serving that position today? Well, nobody is. In fact, all the ones, you can find lists of them in the Old Testament, they're all dead. Which means they were all temporary. Which means that the sacrifices they offered for the sake of the people were temporary. They didn't last. But Jesus, we are told, has an indestructible life. The power of an indestructible life because he has conquered the grave. He was resurrected from the grave. Therefore, he is a priest forever. Thus, his sacrifice lasts forever. Now, let me tell you what that doesn't mean. Right? This, this idea of Jesus being our advocate and, and having to intercede to the Father for us. Let me tell you what, what, what it means to us. If you go face God on your own, what will be the basis of your argument? What are you going to say? How will you prove to the judge that you're not a lawbreaker and thus innocent before God when... He's fully aware that you are. What are you going to say? Are you going to appeal to your morality? Are you going to try to prove that you're a good person? That you worked hard? Man, I was a hard worker my whole life. I worked to the bone. I didn't cause any trouble. 
I didn't cause any trouble. I don't even have, I think I had more than one or two traffic tickets. I always had the best intentions. And, and, and I know that I wasn't perfect, but I really did my best. Is that what you're going to go in with? Maybe you will appeal to your religion, right? Lord, I went to church. I was at church, I mean, fairly often. I was there more times than not. And uh, I truly believe that you existed. I, I, it seems like my whole life I've always believed that you existed. And, and you did a lot of good things. And so, you know, I wanted to impress you. And so I, I went to church and I prayed and I did a lot of good things for other people. Are you going to go in with that? Matthew 7, 21 through 23, says how that's going to go. He says, not everyone, talking about that day, who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who, who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Here's our list. Look what we did. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. I want you to notice in the text that all these people are representing themselves before the Lord. There's no advocate involved here, right? They all represent themselves, and they all appeal to what they've done. Lord, look at these things we've done. And it's an impressive list. And the Lord says to them, I never knew you. I never knew you away from me. You know what they should have done? They should have taken an advocate with them. Not just any advocate. The only one the only one who has a perfect record, Jesus Christ. Because you're only as good as your advocate. You're only as good as your advocate. Man, if your advocate, your advocate's performance is not good, it's going to affect you, right? It, it, your advocate's performance is either going to make you or break you in that court. Your advocate is your, your representative your voice. It, 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 it's like they take your place in that moment. And if your advocate is great, then you're going to come out, you know, sounding great before the judge. And if your advocate just happens to be perfect, <laughs> well, then how will you come out? It's all going to be really, really good on your case. Your advocate. Your advocate's performance gets credited to you. He, he is your substituted. And, and that right there is the heart of Christianity. That is the heart of the Christian faith. Christianity is not that Jesus is a good example that you just need to follow, right? Nor is it that we do a lot of good things for Jesus. Christianity is that in Christ... We have an advocate before the Father. 1 John 2, 1 says this, If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. The righteous, perfect. Now let me tell you what it doesn't mean, right, that, that uh, Jesus 
is our advocate. It doesn't mean that Jesus comes before the Father. I kind of pictured this, right? Jesus comes before the Father with this, this giant caseload. And, and he comes and he's like, all right, uh, brown. <laughs> and he pulls out, you know, your file. And he says to the Father, I know, I know, I know, he did it again. He did it again, but I'm pleading with the court to be merciful. I know he's a repeat offender. I mean, like daily. And, uh, and I know he means well. I mean, so, so, so please give him a break. You've got to give him a break, Father. And for my sake, do it for me. In fact, you owe me after all, because, you know, I went down to earth and did that whole thing. And then God reluctantly says, all right, I'll forgive him again. But this is the last time. It's not very comforting, is it? Right? That's not very comforting. How, how long before the father finally says, you know what? No, I don't want to hear it again. I don't want to hear it. No, there's no forgiveness this time. This guy is out of control. That, that's not what it means. He's not trying to talk a, a reluctant father to give us mercy. That's not what's happening. Uh, what is happening is that God in Christ is interceding for us through justice. Look at verse 26 and 28. Through 28, since a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens, perfect, unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He is sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered himself. So here's what's happening when he intercedes for us. He stands before the Father, our judge. And the Father says, how does your client plea? And Jesus says, your honor, he's guilty. He is so guilty. And he deserves the full extent of punishment according to the law. But, but... I have paid the penalty for him. I took on the full extent of his punishment in myself. Look, here is my blood which I shed in his place because the wages of sin is death. And it would be completely unjust for God to demand two payments for the same debt. And so Jesus is saying, I'm not interceding. I'm not here to ask you for mercy. I am here to demand justice for my client. He must be accepted as innocent by you for all eternity. That's an open and shut case. There's nothing you can argue because God is righteous. He can't help but accept the terms given by the advocate. 1 John 1, 9 says this, If we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Think about that. Right? It doesn't say that God is faithful and merciful. It says that he for, forgives our sins based on his justice. He's faithful and just. What that means is that because Jesus lived a life that we should have lived, and he died the death that we should have died, that his advocacy on our behalf has made it to where the very righteousness and justice of God demands that we are accepted. And he has to because he's just. In Christ, we are made perfect because he is perfect. He is our advocate, our substitute. We are, we are in him, right? And he is in us, which makes us perfect because he is perfect. Hebrews 10, 14. Listen to this. Hebrews 10, 14. For by a single offering, he is perfected. He's what? Thank you. He is what? He is perfected for all time, those who are being sanctified. What's the standard? Perfection. And we have been perfected through Christ because of his, his cross. Which brings me to the last question. What does it matter? What does having Jesus as my advocate do for me in, in my life? We know what it does for us concerning our eternal life and our salvation. How does it play a role in and how I live my daily life. Well, I'm glad you asked. Have you ever seen a picture of a high priest? Of the high priest? I mean, not a photograph, obviously, but like a, 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 like a painting or a drawing of the high priest. You will notice that when you see these pictures, the high priest was arrayed in splendor from head to toe. I mean, they're just arrayed in splendor. They wore these the, the blue and gold, and they had a, an ephod, a breastplate that had jewels, 12 jewels for the 12 tribes on their chest. They wore a gold crown. Uh, their appearance was, especially in a, in a day where everybody just wore robes, right? Their appearance was one to be marveled at. They were stunning. They were draped in majesty, the high priest. Well, that speaks because the high priest was pointing us to Christ. That speaks to the value and the majesty and the glory of Jesus Christ. Right? But here's the thing. Here's the thing, right? We are in Christ. We are in Christ because what he has done for us, which speaks of the fact that we have been made a splendor, a beauty, in the eyes of God. Do you, do you believe that? To, to be a Christian is, is not just having our sins forgiven. That's a big bonus, right? But that's only half of the equation. That's half the equation. The other half is that we have been clothed in the garments of Christ. In Him, we are made Beautiful. We're made beautiful. The Christian is not just one who has their sins forgiven. 
Uh, the other half is that they are, in fact, truly magnificent before God. I, say, I think we think, you know, I've had my sins forgiven, and now Christianity and the Christian life is about, you know, kind of keeping that up. And so that God will be pleased. No. The, the other half of the equation that is that I am exquisite in his sight, that I am perfect in his sight, that I am lovely because he is my righteousness, and because he is my advocate, and because he is my, my wisdom and my redemption and my sanctification. Everything that he is, I am, because I am in him. What do you think? Let me ask you this question. You answer in your mind honestly. What do you think that God thinks when he looks at you? What do you think he sees? How do you perceive that he feels about you, honestly? Oh, I mean, I, I must be... It must be a disappointment. I would think I, he would be disappointed that I'm not better than I am. He, he's probably frustrated at how slow uh, I, I'm maturing as a believer. He's got to be frustrated that I keep going back to him and saying, Lord, I did it again. Please forgive me. Is that how he sees you? No, he sees you in the glory of Christ's perfection. That's how he sees us. He sees you in, in the holiness of Christ. He sees you in, in the majesty and the beauty that is yours in Christ that's beyond imagination. That's what he sees in you. Real life change happens when we start seeing ourselves in the eyes of God, when we see ourselves in Christ, that's when we really begin to change. That's why so much of our, our change doesn't work. Because we're not seeing ourselves as we truly have been made in Christ. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he was a, uh, a British pastor in the 20th century, famous pastor in, in a sermon... He said this, and I want to read what he said because I think it's very helpful. He says, to make it quite practical, I, I have a very simple test. After I explain the way of Christ to somebody, I say, now are you ready to say that you are a Christian? And they hesitate. And I say, what's the matter? Why are you hesitating? And people say that I don't think I'm good enough. I'm not ready to say I'm a Christian now. And at once I know that I have been wasting my breath because they're thinking in terms of themselves. They have to do it. It sounds very modest to say I don't think I'm good enough. But it's the very denial of the faith. The very essence of the Christian faith is to say that he is good enough and I am in him. So Christ, in Christ, Christ forges for us a, a, a whole new identity. We no longer have to spin our, our wheels to be 
uh, valued in the court of public opinion anymore. Trying to be someone who is, is worthy of love, someone who is, is worthy of acceptance because we have that in Christ from the highest court. If you know that you can stand in, in the highest court, in God's court, and you can stand there in confidence on that day, right? how much confidence should that give us in the little courts of public opinion? It should change everything. It should change everything. And, and, and what confidence that brings, what courage that brings to us. Right, you remember the, the story of uh, Stephen in Acts chapter 7, and they, they accused Stephen of, of blasphemy against God, and they're going to stone him. And they, in fact, they, they do stone him. And you remember what he, he said? He said, I, I see Christ standing at the right hand of the Father which outraged the, the people that were, were stoning him. At the same moment that the earthly court was condemning him, the heavenly court was commending him. And that was all that mattered. That was all that mattered. It gave him courage in the midst of being executed. It gave him courage in the court of public opinion. Because he had, he had his approval from above. Jesus was his advocate. We've, we've got to see ourselves through the lens of Christ, right? We've got to see ourselves as not only forgiven, right? But, but glorious in his sight. We're glorious in the sight of God. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is what? In Christ. Then what are we? A new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Not the new will come. It's here. It's here. Now here's the thing, right? Here's the thing. This understanding of ourselves in Christ is the forefront, at the forefront of our, of our warfare. Because Satan is always trying to put us back on trial. He's always trying to appeal our case. He's called the accuser of the saints for a reason, right? So he refuses to accept God's verdict of innocence on our lives. And, and he knows this. He knows when he brings up our sins before Jesus, our advocate that uh, the appeal is going to be denied. He's going to say, I've taken care of that. But he doesn't stop, does he? Because here's what he does next. He comes up and he whispers in your ear. And he says to you, look at what you've done. You're not beautiful. You're not, not magnificent. You're, you're ugly inside. You know that. Do you, do you even, how can you even claim to be a Christian being like you are? That's when you have to listen to your advocate rather than your accuser. The advocate 
said that I am truth. The accuser is called the father of lies. Who are you listening to? Who are you listening to? Our advocate says we are innocent, we are glorious, we are beautiful, we are perfect in his sight. We're like the jewels on the, on the ephod of, of the, the priest's breastplate. that we're, we're shining with glory and majesty. It's, we're stunning in Christ. Tell me that doesn't change everything. It changes everything. Think about this. Think about when you get discouraged, right? What's happening there? When we hope for things and they don't work out. Well, this has a huge role to play in that. Well, maybe put your discouragement and despair through the test, right? Often discouragement comes from not resting in who Christ says we are. That's where it comes from a lot of times. We, we don't get that promotion. We, we don't get that recognition that we feel we deserve. But here's the thing. If Christ is our righteousness and our, and our satisfaction then the beauty of that is that we're able to sometimes lose in this world because we've already won. How great is it? Sure, sure, you may get down, right? But you quickly remember who you are in Christ and then you rise back up. You spend time around someone who has a firm confidence in who they are because of their faith in Christ. And you will, you will find in them there's a lightness. There's a playfulness. There, you'll find someone who doesn't take themselves all that seriously. If you ask a religious person, you can go up to any religious person and go, are you even a Christian? Are you a Christian? How are they get, They're going to be offended. Of course I am. Of course I'm a Christian. Why would you even question it? Right? But if you ask a genuine Christian, they're going to smile at the absurdity of it all. <laughs> yeah, I'm a Christian. Can you even believe it? It's ridiculous, right? It's like I'm, it's God's got this inside joke and I'm just in on it. It's crazy. Right? When someone criticizes you right, and your identity is based on your need to be thought well of, right, what's going to happen? You're immediately either going to respond in anger or you're going to sulk about it. But if your identity is in Christ, someone criticizes you, right? you can laugh back and <laughs> You don't even know the half of it. You're criticizing me for that? I'm way worse than that. I am so much worse than you think I am, right? But here's the thing. I am so much more glorious than you think I am also because I'm in Christ. Try that. Christ satisfies every ache that the human heart has to be respected, to be recognized, 
to be valued, to be loved. He alone fills that God-shaped hole that everyone has. And, and while multitudes, multitudes outside the church are trying to fill that hole with relationships, right, with, with money, with business, with career, with fun, multitudes are trying to do that. And while that's happening, there are multitudes in the church who are trying to fill the hole with religion. Neither, neither are filled to the point of satisfaction. And meanwhile, there's Jesus, full of grace and truth, ready to be our advocate. I love what Isaiah says, Why do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, eat what is good, delight yourself in rich food, incline your ear, come to me so that your soul may live. Why are you spending all of this effort on that which does not satisfy? Which brings me to chili. You can call me a loser. You don't know the half of it. But in Christ, I'm a winner. Let's talk chili for a moment. Did you know that the origin of chili can be traced back to the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible? That's right. Let me read you a passage. Genesis 25, 29 through 34. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, the Hebrew word there could also be translated as chili. I'll prove it. Esau came from a field. He was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that what? Red stew. Chili. For I'm exhausted. Therefore his name was called Edom, which means red. And Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. And Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is my birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and he sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, which tells us this, right? He's not Texan because he's got beans in his chili. And he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Ridiculous story. That story right there is the story of millions of people today. Millions of people. Like Esau, they're, trying, they're, they're famished. And they're trying to fill that, that, that hunger within them, and they're exhausted from it. Just so tired. It's a universal human condition. Right? We we're all have these starving souls. We all long to, be, to satisfy this, this hunger 
and we're exhausted because nothing in this world is getting it done for us. And Esau is willing to sell off his birthright to try to satisfy his hunger. He's trying to sell his birthright for a bowl of chili. A birthright. Now, birthright, what is that? It well includes your place in the family. It includes your inheritance. He sold off his inheritance, his future, for a bowl of chili. And he says, man, I'm about to die here. What good is a birthright to me? You think he was really about to die? Of course not. No, he was just famished. He was just exhausted. We use the same kind of language today when we say, man, I'm starving to death. No, you're not. Without an advocate, we remain famished for acceptance and love. And we will be driven by our desires. We will make terrible life choices that show that we don't value our birthright more than this temporary fix. Jesus has promised us that if we trust in him alone, right, that we will share in his inheritance, that his birthright becomes our birthright. Jesus has included us in his inheritance, his birthright. And yet millions of people are, are selling out for a bowl of chili, the world's chili. You go, how is that? Well, instead of waiting for our inheritance in Christ, we, they're selling out for the pleasures and the pursuits of this world to satisfy immediate cravings. Do you think Esau was satisfied after that day? Do you think he was like, well, that was worth it. That was a great choice. No, I, I believe he woke up the next morning hungry again. Because it didn't satisfy. And now he's without his inheritance. Right? What a dumb trade. And people are making the same deal every day. Don't sell your birthright for that which can never satisfy you. Trust in the perfect one who has perfected you, who sees you as glorious and satisfies every dream you will ever have. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the promises that are found here. We thank you, Father, that in Jesus Christ we have an advocate before you, one who goes before us and speaks in our place, one who speaks a word of, of um, hope, in grace. One who demands justice on our behalf because he has already paid the price. He has already completed and fulfilled the requirements that sin has of death in our place. What a savior. What an advocate. And Father, for any of us are here today and, and Lord, we We've had this plan of how we're going to see ourselves on that day before 
and we've come up with this, this list or this hopeful list of going, man, hopefully when it when it when it's all going to go good for me at that moment, you know, hopefully he will look at me and see, uh, kind of put me on the scales and see that I was better, more good things than bad things. And we forget the fact that on the other side of the scale is the perfection of God. And one sin tips the scales. Father, we need an advocate on our side of the scale. And, and I pray, Lord, if there's anybody here today who is without Christ, who is not trusted in Jesus alone as their Savior, as their Lord, but also as their advocate, I, I pray, Father, that uh, you would give them the strength and the courage to accept that reality, to confess it, to, to have Christ come into their life, to be united with him. So that on that day, they don't have to say a word. Jesus will, sh will say it all. Jesus will show his, his, his wounds, the blood that was poured out. Justice has been served. So, Father, I pray during this, this invitation time, Lord, that we would respond, whether through uh, receiving that or if we've already received that, simply just through, like we sang a while ago, just gratitude. Just all we have to offer is not a list, but a hallelujah. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you to